tuning in to the 159th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, whether you're tuning in via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or WJCU in the morning, I want to thank you for tuning in, being recorded from Buffalo, New York, Amherst to be specific, going to have a great show for you today, going to have my man Kenny Sim on. Kenny does scouting, NFL draft scouting for 247 Sports. We are going, Kenny is going to give out his draft grades for the NFC East and the NFC North, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Kenny's done a great job covering the draft, and we're kind of reaching the finish line. We're reaching the ninth inning, the fourth quarter when it comes to draft grades and draft content for the 2020 class, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. We're going to have Kenny Sim on. In about 10 to 12 minutes. But where I want to start is this. Everybody knows the Last Dance documentary was going on every Sunday for the past month. And really what happened is, besides talking about Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, or the Chicago Bulls, you know the people that always kept trending on Twitter? LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Because that is what, after after the doc... What everything gets reduced to, you see it on First Take, you see it on Undisputed, you see it on all these different sports talk shows, podcasts, media platforms, LeBron versus Jordan. Who's your top five player of all time? I haven't seen as much content about that in, in months. And Paul Pierce, who's on ESPN's NBA Countdown, was asked his top five players. And I'm going to give you his list. His list was number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number three, Bill Russell. Number four, Magic Johnson. And number five, Kobe Bryant. Now, here was Paul Pierce's explanation. I go back and I ask myself, what has LeBron done to build up any organization from the ground floor? Saying that Michael, Michael Jordan built up the Chicago Bulls organization into a champion. Trying to say why Jordan's over LeBron. See, now, this is an example of what we call clout chasing right if you follow rap it's kind of like when you see good guys like Pusha T who aren't on guys like Drake's level mention his name in a critical manner then Drake responds you see this a lot in that type of industry but it can happen in sports too clout chasing when fans criticize players when no-name fans criticize Kevin Durant and then he responds not calling Paul Pierce a no-name he's a Hall of Famer but this gives Paul Pierce clout of LeBron James comments on this, which he might invalidate this, because it's foolishness. Obviously, anybody that knows basketball knows that LeBron James is a top five player of all time. And people call me a LeBron James critic, a critic, and I can even say that. Let me let me tell you this. LeBron James has built up an organization. That is false. What were the Cleveland Cavaliers before LeBron James? Nothing. They were trash. They were crap. They were poop. They were doo-doo. He gets the Cleveland Cavaliers. What happens? Multiple 60-win seasons. A finals berth in there. Multiple conference finals appearances. He leaves Cleveland to go to Miami. What happens to Cleveland? Immediately, they're trash, they suck, they're poop, they're doo-doo. He goes back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. What happens? Four straight finals. 
one of which was the greatest comeback in NBA history, down 3-1 against a 73-win team, Golden State Warriors. Cleveland's, the Cleveland Cavaliers' first NBA championship and the city's first pro sports championship in decades. And LeBron hasn't built up an organization from the ground up? That's idiocy. That's stupidity. It doesn't make any sense. It's almost like Paul Pierce just wants to say something to trend on Twitter and get in the Everybody's talking about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. How about I insert myself into the conversation? And then I, I saw this on Bleach Report, and I have to say this. So in 2014, Paul Pierce demanded, and this is when Paul Pierce is with the Brooklyn Nets, folks. Paul Pierce demanded to guard LeBron James, saying he knew his tendencies more than anyone. Guess what LeBron James did that game? 49 points, 67% from the field, and a win. That sounds pretty stupid what Paul Pierce said. Let me guard LeBron James. I'm like 40 years old. Let me guard in prime, uh, in his prime Miami Heat LeBron James. And I got destroyed. <laughs> right? This is how stupid it sounds to say he's not a top five player. And I am the biggest Kobe fan. This gets me to my next point. I am the biggest Kobe fan. Love Kobe being Brian. God rest his soul. Kobe was, nor is, nor ever will be better than LeBron. LeBron has more points, rebounds, assists. LeBron's peak was better than Kobe's peak. While Kobe, Kobe has more championships, LeBron has been to more finals. And people might say, Kobe's more clutch. No, Kobe's actually not more clutch when you look at it statistically. And Kobe, and people are like, LeBron played on a super team. Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. LeBron James, I mean, Kobe Bryant played with the Ennis Prime Shaquille O'Neal and wasn't even the best player for three of his own title runs. Don't give me that. Look, Kobe is not better than LeBron. If you people want to argue Magic, okay, I, I would say LeBron's better than Magic, but I'd be more accepting of that argument. I think once you get into the Michael, Kareem, Bill Russell argument, I think then there's more realistic cases, which I understand. But saying LeBron's not top five, it's just disingenuous. And to be honest, it's it's unprofessional and it's, it's just in poor taste. And it's not true. Paul Pierce played against LeBron. Like, LeBron's a top five player of all time. I am not the biggest LeBron fan ever. In fact, I'm, I'm really not that big of a LeBron fan if nobody knows that. But even I know LeBron's a top five player easily of all time. Best case scenario, he's one, right? <laughs> Worst case, he's four. Like, that's where LeBron is. I mean, like LeBron said, he's chasing ghosts. <laughs> and he's kind of transcended beyond Paul Pierce. And I really hope he doesn't respond because that will give Paul Pierce more credit than he deserves. But it's clout chasing. It's clout chasing. They're not even on the same level. And this gets into Paul Pierce and why I have problems with some analysts. Paul Pierce is the guy that said he was better than Dwayne Wade. Was that about a year ago? When he's obviously was never better than Dwayne Wade. Build an organization from the ground up. Paul Pierce needed Ray Allen and KG to come to Boston to win a championship. But Paul Pierce never wants to mention that, right? It, it's just in poor taste. Now, with the Last Dance documentary going on, I was going to... Because like I said, we're going to have our weekly Daryl Lane's top 10. So my top 10, and it can be any type of top 10. But here's what I decided. Since we had the kind of had a close to the Jordan doc, the last dance. Let's do a top 10 
of documentaries that I would want to see and documentaries that I would think could be very interesting. Now at number 10, Kentucky one and done. We all know Kentucky with John Calipari has kind of revolutionized the one and done rule in college basketball. It'd be very interesting to see a documentary on that. You can get guys like John Wall, Anthony Davis. I think there'd be a lot of star power that you could use and I think, I think it'd be very interesting to see. Number nine, cheating in college sports. Can people remember the issues that got Rick Pitino, that coach of Louisville, fired as there was a brothel <laughs> in one of the dorms and nobody ever knew? There's cheating scandals all the time in both college basketball and college football. I think it would be very interesting to have a documentary that exposes that, gets into it, probably talks about the FBI, how that kind of all intertwines, right, when the, when the feds get involved. The, Sean Miller, the coach of Arizona, he was wiretapped once. I think that would be very interesting. But that'd probably be hard to get so many people to confess on that. That would be very hard. But it'd be a great doc. Number eight. How Corona has affected the world of sports. So Corona literally ended in North America. I'm just talking about North American team sports right now. The NHL, the NBA, the NFL, and the MLB in one fell Rudy Gobert swoop. And it ruined college basketball. Cut college sports postseason for the winter sports and the spring the spring sports as well so i think it'd be very interesting to talk about and get a bunch of different athletes on to talk about how corona affected them how they kind of reacted as the situation got worse in asia then kind of trickled to europe then trickled to america it'd be very interesting number seven the decision lebron james and the miami heat the heatles kind of revolutionizing the nba in terms of Stars taking their power into their own hands, leaving small markets to go to bigger, more flashy markets. Covering LeBron, James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. One of the most covered teams of the last decade. I think that'd be a very interesting documentary. Number six, the Golden State Warriors. You could have content for five years, right? 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 of their run. You've got guys like Steph Curry, who revolutionized the game of basketball. Kevin Durant, who made one of the craziest decisions ever in NBA history, leaving an Oklahoma City Thunder team that was up 3-1 to join the Golden State Warriors. You have Draymond Green, who's as honest, as real as they come. Andre Iguodala is a great guy that you could get content from, and Klay Thompson is great as well. And, and you have Steve Kerr. I, I think it would be a great documentary to watch the Warriors. Number five, Kobe Bryant's final season. There is actually footage for this, and this documentary will probably happen. Again, God rest Kobe Bryant, so I love that man. Uh, but I think this would be a very interesting documentary. I think kind of the angle they could do this is kind of go from how Kobe became more graceful as he got older, as he wasn't as good of a player after the torn Achilles, and kind of how that translate, translates into his last season. And probably talk about life after basketball, and then go all the way to the... Uh, that dreaded day where the helicopter crash happened. Unfortunately, multiple people, multiple people lost their lives. But I, I think that could be something they spin into that would capture the hearts of many Americans. And many people across the world because his impact was greater than just in America. Number four, Floyd Money Mayweather. You either love him or you hate him. He's at super fights. Him versus Canelo Alvarez. Him versus Conor McGregor. Him versus Manny Pacquiao. A lot of content for pretty boy Floyd Money Mayweather. I think this would be a great documentary, and I would watch every episode. Number three, Tiger Woods. Kind of like Floyd, 
And you know, there's, except, you know, Floyd never had a fall, but, but Floyd's very controversial. Tiger's controversial too. You have a guy that's at the top of his game, arguably the greatest ever in his particular sport, bringing in a lot of African-Americans into a sport like golf that is known to be more white and Caucasian. And he's at his top of his game, then gets in trouble for infidelity, for cheating on his wife, having multiple mistresses. And then he goes on a fall. He struggles. You know, there's DUIs. There, there's a lot of, you know, bad and, and, and stuff in there that, that makes Tiger Woods seem more human, more mortal. And then he wins the Masters last year to kind of get back into our memory, into our minds, and recapture our hearts. I think that would be a great story. Number two for me, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots dynasty. Now, this will probably never happen because I doubt New England. <laughs> Actually, you know what, New England... I mean, because you can go through Brady, greatest quarterback of all time, Belichick, greatest coach of all time, Robert Kraft, arguably the greatest owner of all time. You have players that you can interview in between, such as Randy Moss, uh, Darrell Revis, uh, a, a lot of different players. I mean, there's also the Spygate, the Flategate. There's a lot of stuff that you can talk about in the Patriots dynasty. I just don't know if all these people that you would need to have the Patriots have a Patriots documentary like this. I don't know if you can get all these people to agree right i don't know if that would happen and number one the kobe bryant shaquille o'neal documentary kobe versus Shaq, the greatest duo in nba history how it started their rise and their inevitable fall that happened in 2004 when they lost to the detroit pistons right and jaunty belts was finals mvp that year i believe i think that would be a great documentary uh, probably it'd be a lot harder to do and maybe they could do something to meld it in with Kobe's final year because Kobe's obviously no longer with us so that'd be kind of harder to do in my opinion but this is an, a doc that if they can figure out a way to get this done it would be great and I would love it and I think this could be kind of last dance Jordan's Bulls kind of ask a little bit and that's it for my top 10 Daryl Lane's top 10 now, cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have my guy, Kenny Sim, on the show. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have my guy, Kenny Sim, with us. He does scouting for 247 Sports. How you doing, Ken? Good, man. Thanks for having me back on the show again to talk some football and kind of uh, kind of put a bow on the NFL draft and kind of go through the NFC today and just do some closing meetings and recap all the teams in the NFC and how they did. Yeah, now, really quickly, something I do have to ask you is, this was a conversation uh, this week, and it, and it really started, it started actually today. Uh, I do have to ask you this, as an Ohio native, could LeBron have played in the NFL? No, I don't think so. Really, you um, don't? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I mean, like, if he were to play, so, like, if he were to play, uh, like, a uh, wide receiver, tight end, I can't see him blocking, and... You know, just 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 seeing like on the floor, like even in the NBA, like every every fall to the ground, it's like a train just hit him, slow to get up. I don't know how much of that is theatrics or not. Um, I think 
I, I, I don't think he'd be able to play. I think he would struggle. I mean, it's like a different training method and different, totally different sports and movement from basketball to football. I mean, there is some similarities, but um, I don't think you could just put like a rubber stamp and be like, okay, he's athletic and could jump high in basketball. That transitions quickly over to uh, football. Because really, I think he'd probably be playing like wide receiver or tight end. I, I, I think he would probably do one of those two positions. Um, but uh, I think he might have a. I, I, I just think it's a totally different, you know, totally different sport and training method and stuff to do that um, to make that transition. Now, Ohio is a very good state for football. Uh, correct, Kenny? High school wise. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And. Not quite the South, but it's probably after that one of the better states. Uh, and he was all Ohio as a junior. I don't believe he was focusing that much on football. So do you think, let, let's say, if he just started focusing on football, you know, in, instead of basketball, do you think he could have been? How good a football do you think he could have been? Instead of just being in the NBA now and just transitioning straight to football. Yeah, I mean, I think there. I mean, there's a, there's a chance, um, you know, being like a like a multiple sport athlete, there's a chance that he kind of changed it all to uh, football. Um, he could have possibly made that transition. Um, if he was like six, six, eight, two fifty, that's, that's definitely, um, really unheard of for a receiver, even so like a tight end. So like potentially like, I, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, you think about being a pass rusher, maybe, at that weight and speed, and um, but you would have to learn like all the hand fighting techniques and kind of you know coming off the edge like that. Explosive first step would probably have, but there's a chance that he could have made that transition. Um, but I think he would face more resistance than some people might think making that transition. Hey, but he was all Ohio as a junior, or, or Tenny, you're just like nah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, going up against, like, you know, kids that probably won't play college football. Um, so he was, I, I mean, he definitely was all, all Ohio. I think there was, like, a maybe, like, a like if you're thinking about it, like, maybe, like, a chance back in this early days, like, when there was, like, the lockout in 2011, possibly then he could have had a chance. But if you're definitely like projecting now and be like, okay, if he goes to play in the NFL now at 35, I don't think he'd be able to do it. I think he'd be, he would have a better chance if he tried to make that transition as early as possible in his career, like early to mid 20s. Okay, Kenny, some wisdom. LeBron James probably could not play football and it would not be as easy as you might think. Listen to my guy, Kenny Sim. Okay, now let's talk about the real reason we got you here, Kenny, now that we got that out the way. Uh, let's start with the NFC North, and let's start with the Green Bay Packers, and I, and I want your draft grade, because a lot was made of this draft class, and this draft class will be defined by Jordan Love, we probably won't know about Jordan Love for a couple of years, God, God willing, in the Packers' mind, right? What do you make of this draft class? What is your grade for the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, so my grade from the Green Bay Packers, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them right now, I'm going to give them a C- right now with a chance to um, 
reevaluate in a few years and move it up and down just because being the first round pick, Jordan Love is going to be so important to the success or failure of this draft class when you look at it. Um, but then by looking at Aaron Rodgers' cap hit, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers quarterback for the next two years at least. They won't be able to move, you know, $40 million of dead cap. Whether he's on the team or not, they got to pay that. So you won't know until like 2022 at the earliest with Jordan Love. But immediately right now, I'm going to give it a C minus only because I think the Green Bay Packers kind of did Aaron Rodgers a disservice because you have a 13 and 3 team. You got a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think he only has like one touchdown pass to a first round pick. Even going with a Jordan Love in the first round, they come back, and I don't think they really surrounded him with a wide receiver. Like they, they really needed a wide receiver opposite of Devontae Adams. They go more with like a bruiser and AJ Dillon. So if he's working in a pool with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, that's not. I mean, just just being like a like you know two person committee, that's not going to move the needle that much. Um, and then they come back with a tight end, uh, the kid out of Cincinnati. And that was, I mean, tight end was a draft class to build a backup to cross the board other than one or two. So they, they could have seen, you know, probably a better receiving option if they went with a receiver. And then on day three, they went with six picks. None of them skill guys either. They get some, uh, they get some interior linemen. They do a decent job of developing those guys. Um, but overall, you know, looking at this team, I think they did do a disservice. Uh, you kind of think about, you know, the teams that might have liked this draft. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the Minnesota Vikings. It's the Saints. It's the Seahawks. It's all those teams competing because I think all those teams got better, more or less, in the draft for this year. And, you know, the Packers won't see that, 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 that type of ROI on their investment in this draft because their first-round pick you know, when we get down to maybe a playoff game and it's in the fourth quarter, your first-round pick is a baseball head on holding the clipboard. So I think that's going to hurt them a little bit uh, for, you know, the next few years with Aaron Rodgers only is not seeing kind of that strong return really on any side of the ball on offense that they got better at. I mean, I do like A.J. Dillon, but he's going to be in a pull at, at, at running back, so he could only do so much. You're a third, but but here's can, can I make the argument with this? Do you think, like, the Packers won 13 games and they were a game away from making it to the Super Bowl? Can you can we blame them for drafting a quarterback in the first round with an aging quarterback on their roster? I mean, I think like if you have like a Hall of Fame quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, I, I mean, I mean, I think like your your window is only a few years to get that Super Bowl you got to do everything you can to surround, you know, the Hall of Fame quarterback. And, you know, his, while his yards per attempt might have gone down a little bit, he's getting better in between the ears, like kind of like that mental aspect of quarterback play that you hit in your late 30s and 40s. He had 26 touchdowns, only four picks. That's over a 6-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio. I just think if you have that type of talent at quarterback and, and you have a Hall of Famer at quarterback, you got to surround him with, you know, as much as you possibly can and kind of try to improve the team for right now. And I think the Packers, like over time, have done him a disservice because as talented as Aaron Rodgers is, 
you know, he's only been to one Super Bowl. So you kind of think back in 2010 when he won the Super Bowl, think, okay, how many times is he going to get back? I mean, just think about it. I mean, they've never been back to the Super Bowl, let alone win one. So I think they really should have, you know, put their eggs in these next few years and done everything they possibly can to get better. Uh, you see, like, the Bucks have done that with Tom Brady. Now I want to go to the Detroit Lions. They had the number third overall number third overall pick, and Matt Patricia and company decided to get Jeff Akuda, a guy we talked about a lot during the draft process. What was your thoughts on the Lions draft? Yeah, I thought overall, I thought the Lions, um, I thought the Lions did some things in the short term and long term to benefit themselves. I thought they had a positive draft overall, starting off with Jeff Okuda. So they kind of flipped him for Darius Slay um, and get like the younger player at a more cost effective contract in Jeffrey Okuda. I think he was the third best player in this draft. He should come in immediately and pay some dividends. And when you take a look at those, at their schedule, he's going to need to come in and play at a pretty high level. You take a look at they play Devontae Adams twice, Adam Thielen twice. I think they got, I think they have the NFC South this year, so he's going to be going up against Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Julio Jones. So it definitely pays to have a shutdown corner like that. You know, coming from that Patriots system with Matt Patricia, they like to you know play some man to man, a lot of man man to man. So they, and, and then they come back in round two and they get one of my favorite picks in the draft. I think is is. DeAndre Swift, a guy like his positional value kind of moved him down, but if you're going off pure talent, I think he's a top 20 talent in this draft. So so they get him with on Johnson at running back. That's a pretty nice running back room. Both of them could catch the ball out of the back for Matt, for Matt Stafford. And then I like on day on day two and day three, they come back with two interior linemen. They get jo- Jonah Jackson, a really steady player from Ohio State. And then they kind of get, if they're going to have these two running backs, you need to have some toughness and nastiness. And that's what you get with Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. Maybe a little too nasty with, with, with some penalties that he's gotten. But he's definitely a guy that plays through the whistle, sometimes more through the whistle. So I like the idea of having those two interior linemen to go along with uh, with uh, Glasgow or uh, Frank Ragnall, my my, my my apologies. Frank Ragnow, the center they took a couple of years ago. That's a pretty nice interior room. Um, and so we'll we'll see if they're going to be able to run the ball. They, they really never run the ball as effectively as they did since they had like Barry Sanders. But I think they really want to put an emphasis on this. And you kind of see that on what they did in day two with running back and offensive line. But overall, you know, starting off with Okuda and DeAndre Swift, really good pickups like that. So, I think I give them a B overall. I think they did a pretty good job. Now, it's interesting, too, because the Lions are a team that they were bad last year. They're projected to be bad this year. Do you think this draft class could allow them to surprise some people in the NFC North rankings when it comes to being able to compete with a Green Bay, a Minnesota, a Chicago? Yeah, I think it does because if, as long as you could keep Matt Stafford healthy, I think Matt Stafford's one of the more underappreciated quarterbacks in the game. So he was injured a lot last last year, um, and then they 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 totally you know tanked as in like record wise. I think they they were trying, but it just wasn't yielding the results that they wanted to. But now you have him. You got those running backs. You spent a first round pick on a tight end to uh, last last year. 
and then you have a, a really underrated receiver in Kenny Galladay. You know, with, with that on offense, and you see what they did in free agency, getting a lot of Patriots guys that fit that system, I think they could surprise some guys. And, and you got to look overall, too. I mean, I don't know. Like, you can make an argument that Matt Stafford's the second-best quarterback in that division, um, kind of up there with Kirk Cousins or not. So, you know, they got the quarterback there. So I could see them, you know, they put it all together, surprising some people and maybe not being as bad as one would think. And, I don't know, maybe finishing third, which I think a lot of people have them probably as the fourth-best team right now, the last – but the last place team in the division, I think they could potentially finish third. And if they do, I think you could really see, okay, probably Okuda and Swift are really kind of leading that charge for the young guys on that team. Will Matt Patricia be able to reap the benefits of this of this draft class in a couple of years? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not, uh, so, so the, the owner, the uh, uh, Martha Ford, kind of an ultimatum on him and Bob Quinn about making the playoffs this year. So it's, so it's never good because then you're like, you're really focusing your team on the short term and you're not really looking at, you know, being like a steward of the organization and thinking about what's best, not only for the short term, but long term. So they put a lot of their eggs in the basket for this year. Um, NFC is really competitive, though. I, I, I don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs in the NFC, so you know, you just gotta watch out for making too many short-term plays and not keeping the future open. But overall, what, they, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, they got ten guys, too, in the draft, so they had like a mix of quantity and quality. But to answer your question, I don't think Matt Patricia is gonna see kind of the full benefit because kind of like, kind of has to make the playoffs this year or he could be fired, but you know, I think in look kind of looking back at this draft in a few years, you know, having 10 guys and that amount of talent in the first two picks, I think Lions fans overall could feel pretty good about this specific draft. And my last question about Detroit is this. What are the chances we could see the Lions have both the defensive rookie of the year and the offensive rookie of the year and both Swift and Akuda? Well, that's a good point there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think defensive rookie, so defensive rookie, I think it could be hard for a corner only because um, a lot of times the numbers and the stats really come into play. So that kind of yields it more like a front seven player who either like leads the league in tackles like Darius Leonard did or, you know, gets a lot of sacks. But, you know, one thing that Okuda did at Ohio State and why he didn't have like a lot of the interceptions and pass breakups. His team just wouldn't even throw to his side. It was just an exercise in futility just throwing to Jeffrey Okuda. So, you know, I think if if, if, if Okuda doesn't get targeted a lot, I think that he's doing a good job, but uh, you're probably not going to see like those raw numbers that a lot of the reporters look at when they pick up the defensive rookie of the year and and for offensive rookie of the year if, if deandre swift stays healthy now now he did have a shoulder kind of at the end of last year with georgia but if he stays healthy um i could see him putting up some good numbers uh he's gonna need to have a pretty significant year kind of like what saquon did two two years ago for a running back to win that award but um 
you know, if you're looking at tandems at the top of my head, I would have to put the Lions at the top if you're thinking about a team that could win offensive and rookie. If a, a, a team that could win offensive and defensive rookie of the year in the same team, I think that combination at the top um, is a really high chance for the Lions. Now let's go to the Chicago Bears. They draft Cole Kent with their first pick, tight end out of Notre Dame. They also get Jalen Johnson, quarterback out of Utah, as well as some other players. They did not have a first-round pick. What did you make of the Chicago Bears draft, Kenny? Yeah, so of the Bears draft, I I think they are kind of in the – I would put them third in the division with how the draft went behind the Vikings and the Lions. So they were already kind of at a ceiling because they they traded, you know, their first-round pick coming from the Khalil Mack trade, and they get Cole Komet. So Cole Komet, I don't think he's one of the best Notre Dame tight ends to come out, but I think he's solid, though. I think 43 might have been a little bit too rich, but he's a solid player, though. So tight ends, you know, as a rookie, do have a tough time making that transition. Um, two, two years ago, Trey Burton was a high-volume receiver at the tight end position, so Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles is going to need Cole Komet to do that. Then they come back with Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson, decent player. He was banged up, though. And he, he played through a shoulder injury, so you give him credit for that. Um, he's going to need, a, you know, at a more physical level of play in the NFL, stay healthy and on the field. And then I thought they have a couple of players – um, I, want, I want to focus on this Georgia Southern kid, Kendall Vildor, um, as the day three pick. I like his game. I thought he was definitely he, – he did well at the senior bowl. Fast player. I think he was a sub-4-4 four, four guy. Productive player at Georgia Southern. I think he's the day three pick when you look at their five picks they had in day three. I think he's their day three pick that could – you know, step on the field, not only in a special teams role, but in a nickel role as well, um, and, and, you know, yield some results there and be a starting corner. And then uh, the Gibson kid from Tulsa, he had a good week at the senior bowl as well. But, you know, he doesn't have those elite traits off the edge as you would like. So overall, I mean, if you're looking at who could contribute, you know, they're going to need Johnson to stay healthy. They're going to need Komet to develop into, you know, a top three option on the team and then hit on one of these day three guys. Are you surprised that they don't decide to get a quarterback, you know, with the kind of the uncertainty around the fact that we don't know what Nick Foles is and nobody knows what Mitch Trubisky is at the moment either? Yeah, I really think that, you know, so by... So by not picking up Mitch Trubisky's option, this is really like his last shot. I think he's going to be. A, I, I I think what's going to happen, like whether they say it or not, is as long as it's like an even quarterback competition, I think Trubisky's going to start off with the nod and kind of see how he does. And then if he plays poor, they're going to go with the veteran Foles who knows the system. But I think you're going to start off there with Trubisky and give him, you know, every possible shot to succeed. Um, but I think, you know, they have a really good defense as well. I think they have one of the top eight defenses. 
I don't think they went for a quarterback because they feel, you know, if Trubisky falters, they could go with a, a veteran that knows the system, who knows Matt Nagy. He coached them up at Kansas City when Nick Foles was there. I think they feel, you know, they could hold down the fort there at the quarterback position. And they also invested a lot of money in quarterbacks. So they got one year of Trubisky left, probably about being the number two pick, eight, nine million dollars, come back with about twenty three million from full. So they already had, you know, a lot allocated to the Q B room. So I think, you know, that's kind of like their thinking and why they didn't take a quarterback. And uh, with having those two guys there, I don't think they were going to take a QB in the draft. I think they're going to, you know, feel pretty good about having a backup in Nick Foles with a chance to win you some games if necessary. And what's your grade for the Chicago Bears? I'm going to give them a C. I think it was an average draft. Uh, I think a little a little too rich on Cole Komet. And then coming back in day three, you know, I can only see maybe one guy stepping up from that pool. So I think they had probably, you know, the third or fourth best draft in their division. Will, will Cole Komet be a guy that can is ready to go right away in terms of being a pass-catching tight end? Yeah, he should be ready to go right away. He should be ready to step in at the Y position and start for them. Okay, that's good to hear. Now, let's go to our last team in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings. They draft one of my favorite players in the draft. I love this man so freaking much, Justin Jefferson. What did you make of the Minnesota Vikings draft, Kenny? Yeah, I really like what the Minnesota Vikings did. They had to retool their team. They were really tight up against the salary cap, had almost their entire secondary left, and they couldn't afford to pay them. But I really like what the Vikings did. The Vikings bring in 15 guys in this draft. That's the most in the NFL. And I really like what they did on the first three picks, which is why I give them an A for this draft. And I really think a, a key reason is what they did with the first three picks getting two starters and potentially a third. So they start off with Jordan Jefferson. He's going to fit right into that role that Stephon Diggs had, opposite of Adam Thielen. He's ready to go and play right now. Um, you know, it's a perfect complement in that system that Gary Kubiak wants to run. He's a precise route runner. Um, he could do everything Stephon Diggs does, more cost-effective contract. Then they come back with Jeff Gladney. Jeff Gladney was a, a, a player that I had a... Uh, a pretty high grade on it. I liked him as the top nickelback in this draft. So he could come in, he could play inside or outside, and they lost Trey, Rain, Trey Waynes to Quez Denard, so they, and, and Mackenzie Alexander, too. So they come back with a starter at corner of, of, of flighty players that get in your grill um, and Jeff Gladney. And then in round two, they get a potential starter at left tackle. Maybe not this year, but definitely in year two. Ezra Cleveland, really good fit for this zone blocking system, this outside zone system that Kubiak wants to play. Um, and they could have a, a, just a rubber stamp car, carbon copy and an ideal tackle. He could plug in and he could play right now. Um, but definitely down the road, I would expect him to start. So they get like A's on those three picks, getting both talent and needs with those three picks. 
And then they come back. They get a bigger corner in Cameron Dantzler. Cameron Dantzler was the only corner that really had success against Jefferson and Jamar Chase at LSU. He really challenged them. 6'3", 190. He's a big corner. Um, and then, you know, another guy, too, is Harrison Hand. Physical corner at a temple as well. Perfect type that Mike Zimmer wants. That's just a few of them. Um, they have a decent pool of, of defensive line rotation that they get. They get uh, three defensive linemen. And then they get a potential, you know, a potential pool player at starter um, at safety. And Josh McCullough out of Michigan. Physical safety as well. Should be able to play all the special teams and kind of fit in that, that pool as an immediate backup to Anthony Harris and Harrison um, Smith. Harrison Smith. So, so, so overall, I really like what the Vikings did. I give them an A, and I think they had um, not only one of the best drafts in the NFC, but one of the best drafts in the entire NFL. What is the idea behind drafting three cornerbacks? Because that's a lot of draft capital to devote to one position. Yeah, it definitely is. Yep, they did take three guys. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is, but I think, I mean, if you take a look at kind of how you want to build your defense, you know, I think cornerback, you know, analytically has a little bit more of of an impact on the game then pass rusher, but they lost so many guys in their secondary, kind of like a combination of both free agents that they couldn't pay, the kind of guys like Xavier Rhodes that really fell off the cliff last year. They lost three of their starters and another safety, too. So they really had to retool at that position, um, you know, when you almost your entire starting secondary is lost. That's a huge hole on your team. So I, I think that went into the reason why they wanted to hit that position early and often, and they hit that position each day in the draft. Nope. And corner is a big, a, a big, a big position for what they want to do on defense. So they want to have big corners. They want to play man to man. Mike Zimmer puts a lot of pressure on his cornerback play, so that's another reason why they wanted to kind of get the right guy in their system and not kind of just half-heartedly build a position on day three, but hit it on day one, hit it on all three days of the draft, too. Okay, now let's go to the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys. Let's start with them. CeeDee Lamb, a guy that some people were talking about that could potentially be a top-five pick, maybe a top-ten pick, drops all the way down to the Cowboys at, I believe, number 17. What did you make of the Cowboys draft? Yeah, I really like what the Cowboys did at pick 17. They kind of stayed right there and let the draft fall to them. I don't think that they were expecting C.D. Lamb to fall this far. And I think they get a little bit of a bonus, too, as as C.D. Lamb kind of fell, went as the third receiver. You kind of saw a team that needed a receiver in their division, the Eagles, not move up. So I think that's like a double whammy, uh, double plus for the Cowboys. They go with C.D. Lamb. I think in terms of kind of a day one impact, I think he can make a really big impact, as big of an impact as anyone in the first round, kind of going with Dak Prescott and being opposite Amari Cooper. He's going to see a lot of 1v1 matchups on the outside. He could win those battles. Um, That was a big hit for them. And then to come back on day two, I really like what they did in day two as well, is getting a bigger corner in Trayvon Diggs. 
kind of fills in for the loss of Byron Jones. He's a big cornerback. He could run well. And then they get an Oklahoma guy, a second Oklahoma guy, and Neville Gallimore. Um, if you put on the tape with him, you see a lot of productivity in the back, um, in the backfield a lot. Athletic guy can move well. So they come back with him too. I think they get three starters with those three picks as early as week one. I think you see all those rookies play. Um, the dig pick is interesting because they did need a corner and they do have a pass defense that needs to get addressed. I think they're going to play in a lot of high-scoring games, so those guys are going to be targeted. Um, that was a big hole opposite of, By- of Byron Jones. I like what they did there, uh, kind of at the same pick as a Jalen Johnson. I like Diggs a little bit more. Um, so with those first three picks, I think they get three starters right off the bat. And it's interesting about this draft class, too, and them specifically getting CeeDee Lamb. I-, I think I told you when we were doing our mock draft when I had them getting uh, – Winfield Jr., uh, and I was like, you know yep. what? His dad was an all-pro, so so they'd probably get him too, right? That's a Jerry Jones move. What's a more Jerry Jones move than getting CeeDee Lamb? He's from freaking Oklahoma, right in his backyard practically. Jerry's like, oh, my God, he was the best player in Oklahoma. Let's get him. <laughs> Absolutely. I think they saw. I think he probably saw him at AT&T Stadium a couple times. I think Oklahoma played down there. I definitely know they played the Big 12 t- title game there. Um, yeah, so, so so not only he goes with with with, with C.D. Lamb, he comes back with another Oklahoma player, another big school player in Gallimore as well. He gets his teammate too. Overall, I thought they did a really good job, though, Daryl. I give them a B plus um, with those three guys, and then potentially with the loss of Travis Frederick, they go back with an, a Wisconsin center too. This guy's a little bit banged up. He does have an injury history. But, you know, productive starter for Wisconsin, maybe they get a fourth starter as well in this draft, which would be, you know, other than the teams that had like 14, 15 picks. I think that's as good as you're going to get when you look back at this draft is, you know, do we have four starters from a draft class? I think the Cowboys could do that. And that's one of the reasons why I give them a B plus. And Tyler Bazdaz, as uh, I believe I'm pronouncing, I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. I apologize if I am uh, from Wisconsin. Do you think he can be the type of center that Travis Frederick was? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Travis Frederick was an All-Pro back in his prime. Um, he, he 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 came in um, highly touted as well. So he was a I think a 17th pick versus a fifth round pick. Um, he was just more polished, really really good pro prospect and an all-pro. I don't think uh, Tyler Bizzazz is going to be an all-pro, but you know, if he could somewhat hold the fort down and keep that offensive line that has gone through a transition so now, you know, Lael Collins is a starter. Um, they don't have Larry Wofford anymore, but they want to try to keep that offensive line you know, not Maybe not the best like it was in 2014, um, but definitely and 2016 for them. <laughs> now, also, what I do want to ask you is this: This is my last one about the Cowboys. What do you think Aaron Rodgers is thinking when Mike McCarthy, of all people, drafts a wide receiver in the first round? Exactly. That's exactly the point that um, I kind of made at the start with Rodgers is. Trying to surround him with as much talent as possible, um, 
and, and, and so that's a perfect example of, you know, the Bucks did it with Brady. Dak Prescott isn't a championship-level quarterback, but they're continuing to improve around him, too. And, you know, Rodgers only threw one touchdown pass to a first-round pick in his career. Mike McCarthy goes to Dallas, and right off the bat, not only do they take a first-round pick on offense who could catch a touchdown, but um, they do it on a wide receiver, too, which Rodgers didn't have. So, you know, that's exactly the point that Rodgers got, got to be thinking is, you know, I'm going to be playing these teams in the playoff, and my first round picked on the sidelines, and we got to go against, you know, like a like a C.D. Lamb in the playoffs, like a Jalen Rager um, with Eagles that we're going to get to, stuff like that. Got to be frustrated. And what's your grade for Dallas? Yeah, I'm going to give them a B plus. Um, I don't like giving out A's too much, like a sure thing, but I think I think the Cowboys. I give them. Um, Probably like a top ten draft, not not in that top quartile, um, but I think they had a productive draft though with the first three picks. I think you see results from all three as early as year one, B plus. Now let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. One of the most talked about moves they made is they draft quarterback Jalen Hurts out of Alabama. I mean, not out of Alabama. Excuse me. Oklahoma. <laughs> I got a little confused right there. <laughs> now, Oklahoma, Alabama, same thing. He went to both schools, right? Actually, I think he graduated from Alabama, so why not say Alabama? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, they draft Jalen Hurts the second round. What did you make of the Eagles draft? Yeah, the Eagles draft, I think it was a mixed bag for them. Um, so, uh, so, so a couple of things that um, I liked. I do like the Rager pick. I had him as a first-round pick. Um, one of the things I think that a, a, a lot of Eagles fans didn't like was they were really hell-bent on taking Justin Jefferson that um, they liked, and they passed on him. He goes a pick later to the Vikings. Jalen Rager is an interesting player, only about 5'10", 5'11", but over 200 pounds. He could like kick returner, punt returner, run jet sweeps. You could hand him, hand him the ball off in the backfield even catch bubble screens. I think he's going to be pretty, um, I think he's going to be a high volume target with Zach Ertz as well. Uh, they come back with Jalen Hurts, and then they wanted to get speed too at receiver. So, so they get a total of four receivers because they get John Hightower, really fast guy out of Boise State. They get another kid from Southern Miss, and then they trade for, um, uh, they traded for a, a San Francisco receiver, uh, his name spurs me at the moment, but uh, forget forget his name. But but, but anyway, you you can look it up. They they end up trading a seventh round pick. Uh, Marquise Goodwin they get, so they get him for a day three pick, a seventh round pick. So they get four wide receivers, and that's something that they were. I mean, they were really beaten down. I mean, they were down to a rookie and Greg Ward, who played quarterback in college at wide receiver for them in a playoff game. So they really want to get back to wide receivers. So they end up, you know, picking four picks um, at the receiver position. And then Jalen Hurts. I don't mind the Jalen Hurts pick. I like Jalen Hurts. I think, he, you know, he could start off in a in a Jason Hill role. We talked about that um, when we did that Friday night uh, podcast after day two of the draft. Don't mind the Jalen Hurts pick. 
and, and, and Carson Wentz is a kid that's been injured every year in the NFL, going back to college too. So, you know, I think he gives him a little bit more playmaking potential as opposed to like a Nate Sudfeld or like a Josh McCown. So I think, you know, the Eagles and Doug Peterson are confident enough to say, okay, if Carson Wentz gets hurt, we can win games and hold down the fort with a Jalen Hurt. Um, something that they did with Nick Foles. And they want to be a QB factory, too. So if this pick works out, you know, you saw what the Saints did. The Saints put a first-round tender on Taysom Hill. You could potentially, you know, maybe trade Hurts down the road if he flashes in a backup role, flashes in a Taysom Hill role. You could potentially trade him and get a higher pick than 53, so come out on the plus side of that, too. So it goes back to kind of drafting and developing quarterbacks, which the Eagles have done a really good job at over the years. Um, I don't mind that first pick. Now, what's the difference between the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts and the Packers drafting Jordan Love? Well, I think the difference is that Jalen Hurts could come in right off. He could come in, uh, you could put him in a package this year. So, um Aaron Rodgers isn't going to come off the field for Jordan Love. But Jalen Hurts, you know, Carson Wentz has been hurt. He does like to run the ball. So potentially having Jalen Hurts in at quarterback um, to run the football on kind of those RPOs, those zone reads at the quarterback position, Jalen Hurts could do that and kind of save the hits on Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts is also a more polished passer than a comparable player like a Taysom Hill. So if he comes in the game, it's not just, you know, the defense sees run. He has the threat of throwing the ball more than Taysom Hill, if you're thinking about kind of that personnel grouping that they could do. And I even read, too, that, that you know, Doug Peterson's kind of floating around the idea of having both Wentz and Hurts in the backfield together, too. He's very creative as a play caller. He's one of the best play callers in the game. You could see that, too. So I, I, I think the difference is that Hurts could get on the field this year and contribute, you know, winning plays with the Philadelphia Eagles. And what's your grade for the Eagles? Yeah, I'm going to give them I'm going to give them a uh, I'm going to give them a B minus. So, you know, they 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 did address wide receiver, didn't really address the back end of the secondary too much. And they have basically no one at linebacker, too. That's one of the teams that they have completely neglected the linebacker position. They don't even – I mean, it's been a long time since they drafted a guy on the first two days. Um, They take one guy at linebacker. That's a big hole in their defense. Um, They they basically have, you know, day three or street players at linebacker, too. So, I mean, they really put their eggs in the basket at wide receiver. Kind of maybe neglected a few other positions. I give them B-minus. Okay, now, and I and I do agree. I, I think that this will be a good draft, and I and I do like the Jalen Hurts pick. But let's go to the New York Football Giants. They get, I believe, your third tackle on the board, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. He definitely wasn't your first. I know Tristan Wirfs was your first, but yeah. neither here nor there. Well, what did you make of the Giants draft, Kenny? Yeah, I really thought the Giants had a. Uh one, one of the best eight drafts in that top quartile. I thought they did a really good job overall. I think they did a combination of a few things. They did a combination of, of quantity with 10 players and quality too. 
and you know they really fit the need on offensive line play and secondary play. So what they did is they get Andrew Thomas, a really safe pick. Um, he's he's close to maxing out as a player, but he's a safe player. He's a productive player. Um, you you could start him right now at left tackle and kind of keep him there for several years, move Nate Solder over to right tackle. That was definitely a need that they had to protect Saquon Barkley and and uh, Daniel Jones. So they do that in, in, in the first pick. And then they come back with Xavier McKinney, similar player to Landon Collins, another Alabama safety. But they had a, you know, a need at safety too. Xavier McKinney fell, you know, to, fell to 36. I think he's one of the top 36 players in the draft. So now with him and Jabril Peppers in the back, in the back end of the secondary, that's not a bad secondary. And then I want to touch upon this offensive line that they continue to remake and rebuild. Dave Gallman is a guy that wants to have a strong offensive line. They come back with Matt Perk, really long wingspan, over 36 inches, six foot six, three ten. He's a developmental tackle that could potentially start, you know, maybe in year two or year three. And then they get Shane Lemieux too, another guard, really solid player. I think he's a four-year starter at Oregon. So by getting those guys, they could potentially have hit a home run if they get three three starting offensive linemen in this draft. And, and how good are things looking for the Giants, too? Because if you think about it, they have their franchise running back in Saquon Barkley. They have their franchise quarterback. It looks like in Daniel Jones. And they're going to have their franchise left tackle in Andrew Thomas. Exactly. Um, I think they're a year away still. So they, they, had, they had kind of three big needs. They can't do it all, though, in one draft. So... They definitely need help at edge rushers. They don't have a guy that could get double-digit sacks on the outside. They got some young players like a Lorenzo Carter, Xavier, um, Oshani, um, and then they kind of strengthen their defensive tackle room. But they don't have a solid like that prototype edge rusher. Um, and then they need to fix the offensive line. And I still think kind of to make that offense, you know, a top half of the offense, I think they could have used – you know, some, some improvements at the wide receiver position, too. Um, but you can't do all of those in one draft. So they really went for the offensive line this year and tried to hopefully kind of finalize the back end of that secondary. That back end of the secondary has a lot of young guys now, first and second year players that they hopefully, you know, could be, you know, their, their, their secondary of the future. But then it comes at the expense of not, you know, fully addressing edge rusher or receiver. They can't do it all in one year, though. But I like what they did at offensive line um, and trying to protect their top two players, which which Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley have to be big for them to win games this year. Now give me your draft grade for the Giants. Yeah, I'm going to give them an A-. I really like what they did at left tackle, potentially with two left, uh, potentially with two tackles um, after they can move on with Nate Solder at the end of the year with Matt Pert. Um I like the Xavier McKinney pick as a back end in the secondary, too, as a, as, as a starter who should be one of the better players on the team. And then a couple of their day three picks, um, you could see multiple players contributing for them. I think it was probably the best draft that Dave Gettleman had in his three years at New York. I give them an A-. Now, let's go to the Washington Redskins. They draft Chase Young, 
in your opinion, in my opinion, the best overall player in this class. But what grade and what do you really make of this Redskins draft class? Yeah, I think it's definitely one where they want to um, take a look at some young guys this year and kind of see what they have. They're in a multiple-year rebuild. I think they're a year behind the Giants. So, you know, they want to take a look at some players. So, obviously, you know, not spending too much time on Chase Young. Best player in the draft. They get him opposite Montez Sweat. Should be a franchise player for years to come. Should be a pro bowler potentially in year one. Come back with a, you know, kind of – kind of like a, a wide receiver slash running back in Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. And then they get a potential starter, um, potentially, um, in, in the Charles kid out of LSU. And then they get kind of a bigger wide receiver that I like out of Liberty, who did well at the Senior Bowl, Antonio Gandy Golden, too. Um, but you take a look at that, at that wide receiver room, kind of with those two guys they took, and Terry McLaurin, it kind of lags behind the rest of the division. Um, James Smith-Williams is an athletic kid, raw kid. They took in the seventh round, trying to develop him as well, um, trying to develop a Keith Ismail, who's a center, um, potential starter down the road as well. So so you hear me a lot in the draft saying potential starter down the road. So overall, I mean, they did take Chase Young, but – I think a lot of these guys are a few years from being solid contributors to the team. I think they want to have a lot of young guys this year, see what they have, see who could stick, who not to stick as they enter a long rebuild. Um, I give them a C minus. I, 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 I think the Chase Young pick definitely will play dividends, but it's hard to kind of point your finger on who else in this class is going to pay dividends quickly for them um, or predicting the future too. I mean, Gibson and Gandy Golden, they don't do much on the outside if they don't have a quarterback they could get them the ball. So, overall, you know, I do like the Chase Young pick, obviously, but other than that, it's hard to see kind of, you know, where this group could kind of help them win games this year and get them out of kind of that like that second worst record that they had in the NFL. I give them a C minus. A C minus with a player like Chase Young. Yeah, I mean, you could potentially see, you know taking a Chase Young and I don't know, you know, let's say you hit on one of these linemen, that's two players and then from there, it's kind of up in the air with, you know, you're taking a shot with Antonio Gibson and Gandy Golden. Gandy Golden's a day three pick. I mean, so you're going to have to develop a day three pick at wide receiver. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a developmental draft for them, so I kind of see two Two picks potentially for them panning out um, overall. But even taking a look at their record and schedule, too, I don't really see if, if, if you put this class on their team, you know, seeing kind of where the added wins might come by, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They did strengthen the defense with Chase Young, but offensive side of the ball, um, you know, I think they got some guys that, you know, you hope that will pan out, but I think you're kind of hoping more than kind of solid, solidly projecting. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the podcast. Always appreciate Kenny coming on. And that's it for the 159th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Well, see, I always had a way in 